2: Welcome to the show, the Monday program. Believe it or not, we start a brand new month. Today, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On For Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, really whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. Communion Sunday for us. And that's always a treat for me personally. You know, I remember the very first time As a believer, I walked in and saw the communion elements that were set up, and I knew it was Communion Sunday, and it was such a thrill for me. And you know, it's 31 years later now, and I'm still thrilled. I just love coming, and I I do Communion three times uh, now on our three services on Sunday. But what an honor and a privilege it is to be able to come to the table of Communion and uh, and just know that Jesus is there with us, fellowshipping with us, and pleased by us. So lots going on tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We have our free our our, our men's and women's and youth Bible studies tonight at seven o'clock. Uh, ladies, you can watch it at CalvarySA.com on live stream, but it's always better to be here. And uh, that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can make it a family affair. Uh, kids, men, wives, all at the same time, just in different locations here at the church. Um, and um, we'd love for you to join us with those Bible studies. Uh, please keep Paula and our ladies in your prayers. Uh, there, Our pastor's wives are at their retreat tonight, and actually through Wednesday. Um, we'd ask you to pray for them. Okay, let me get to some questions that have been sent in while we wait um, any of your phone calls. This one is from Kevin from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Ron. Thank you for your program. In listening to your broadcast of Friday, a gentleman called in and asked a question regarding cremation. You mentioned the Bible does not mention anything regarding cremation, and you're absolutely correct. Yet in reading 1 Corinthians fifteen forty it is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. It appears in this scripture, Paul is saying that the natural body must be sown, which one must interpret. Our physical bodies must be put in the ground. The scripture will debunk any type of cremation. Can you please explain this verse? Thank you. Kevin, I appreciate the thoughtful way you asked the question, but you're missing the whole point of First Corinthians chapter 15 all together, not just verse 44, but all of them. What he's trying to to say, the point he's making, is it that these bodies are not heavenward bodies. These bodies are not able to go to heaven. Um, and so what he's saying is that, uh, and I used the example the other day of us going up in an airplane. We can't even go above 10,000 feet without the cabin being pressurized. Imagine the difference in heaven. So uh, what he's saying is that, uh, these bodies, these decaying bodies, um, cannot inherit um, eternal life. We can't inherit heaven. Uh, we are corrupt, and corrupt can't inherit um, incorrupt, so they have to be changed. And that's the point of 1 Corinthians. And if you go just a few more verses in chapter 15, he's going to answer the problem for you. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, he's going to say... Um, Listen, I tell you a mystery: uh, we will not all die, but we will all be changed, and that fulfills all of the needs of the others. We also know that um, the dead will give up the or the sea will give up the dead in them. So the idea that we have to be buried uh, is contradictory to what Scripture says. So I think you're taking it out of context. Uh, our natural body has already been sown when Paul says that, and. Um, to interpret that as saying our physical bodies must be put in the ground is to miss the point of the package, passage. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate the question. Here is a question. This one is from um, anonymous from our email inbox. So, pastor on. Oh, this is a hard question. Uh, we've been at a new church for almost three years now. The church is great. Very loving, and we love it there. My teenager loves the youth program, but most of the kids that attend have been going there more years than she has. They know each other very well. She's fairly new. She's made some great friends there compared to friends at public school. She has been coming home telling me that the kids from church have been talking about her, and when they've hung out, they haven't been too nice to her. One of the kids even told his friends, Are you sure she's a girl? She sounds like a trans Um, No, she is not a girl. I'm positive she's trans. So that's the end of the quote, what the kid was saying. This was said in front of my daughter, and that really hurt her. My question is, how do I handle this situation? I don't want her to stop. Uh, loving going to church. She knows that we as Christians are set apart. I understand that even at church, teens will be teens. Should I bring it to the youth pastor or what advice do you give me? Thank you for your time and all that you do. Anonymous, these are always hard things when it's your kid who's being attacked. Uh, These are hard things because it's our natural instinct to want to... And honestly, uh, I think that's the, the worst thing that you can do. Uh, Talk to your daughter. Tell her, don't blame Jesus. Don't blame the church and don't blame the other kids in the church for the hateful actions of somebody in the church. And I would teach her. um, And as a teen, she's old enough to do this. I think this is time when she can learn about Jesus coming to her defense. Uh, Teach her how to address the person who actually said it. She could have responded by saying, I heard what you said, and I don't understand why you said something so hateful about me. And then she could have said, you know what, I'm going to pray for you because I really love Jesus, and I want you to really love him too. And just leave it at that. And if he continues, then she can simply reach out, and, and uh, whether it's he's doing it publicly or not, um, she can simply reach out to him. And and she's got to be a little more thick skinned. Don't blame the church. Don't blame the other kids. Don't blame Jesus for the behavior. Now, if the behavior gets bullyish well, then that's another story. If it, if there's physical danger or she's been physically accosted, then that's something completely different. And then, yes, it would be your responsibility to go to the youth pastor or even the the uh, lead pastor of the church so that he could know what your teen is experiencing. Let me get really personal with this. You know, we, uh, we have a free school here at Calvary Chapel, and obviously we have a youth group and we have kids that go to our youth group that certainly aren't part of our free school. We can't have everybody in the school. We don't have that kind of space. And so we're always on guard against the kind of bullying or um, people saying uh, unkind things. And we deal with it really, really quickly. So if it gets abusive, then I think it's time to get the pastors involved. And as the senior pastor here at Calvary Chapel, Uh, I would want to know, and everybody knows I'd want to know, because we're going to deal with it. And I would sit down, if it came to me, your situation came to me, then I would call that young man in with his parents. And I would ask him to explain why he's saying these things, if in fact he really said them. Um, But but I'm I'm always in favor of face-to-face, and I don't mean this in a harsh sense, confrontation. When somebody's sinning, then we have to call them out on it. And your daughter, she loves the Lord. You said that she knows that you guys are to be separated um, uh, to the Lord. Uh, This is just part of what it means to be a Christian. And she needs to pray for this person and, um, you know, hope he gets born again. So I hope that helps. I know that's not very satisfying. Uh, we'd like to fight, but this is a place to teach her what she should do, how she should respond as a believer um, rather than depend on you. Let the Lord defend her, and I know that he will. And I think also confronting people in situations like this, especially youth, um, uh, I think it would give them a chance to really deal with uh, their own sin and perhaps... Um, publicly repent so I think that would put her in good standing with the other kids who know that what he was saying was unkind and even hateful thanks for listening to the program I appreciate it very much God bless you that you love your church That's that's a great great thing Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from William. This is interesting. He said, "I heard that AI, artificial intelligence, can write a sermon that gives Bible verses support of gay and trans ideology. What are your thoughts, William? I am the worst person in the world to ask about technology. Um, I know that that there are." sermons that can be given on on ai um you tell them well i want to say this here's an idea and they'll write the sermon for you and and honestly any kind of uh, a pastor who would depend on ai to write a sermon um I mean, that makes no sense to me i mean you know it seems like people are trying to take the human touch out of church and 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 Human touch is the reason that we have church. Now that AI can write a sermon that gives Bible verses supporting that which is clearly sinful um, is just demonic. I mean, that's all it is. And and uh, you know, the devil tried to twist Scripture uh, when when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness after Jesus's uh, baptism. Um, and and you know, again, Jesus just responded with what was written it is written and he responded with the word correctly of course interpreted and um so you just deal with it i mean um there there's no real bible verses that support the sin of homosexual lifestyle or trans ideology Uh, So we we just need to know our Bibles enough to know that any attempt to support it, whether it's artificial intelligence or liberal theology or some human who's not really saved, uh, we know that's demonic and we see it all around. Now, I want to get away from the AI part of this for a moment, William, because what I want to do is kind of help prepare my audience Um, to deal with things like this, because this is the way of our lives from this point forward. We're not going backwards. This demonic ideology is not going to take a step back and say, well, you know, maybe you guys are right. Now, certainly individuals can be saved. But we need to be prepared to deal with this. And we didn't know what we're talking about. And as a pastor, especially one that teaches the Bible the way I teach it, it's very frustrating for people to say, well, you know, when they said this, I didn't know what to say. We need to know our Bibles well enough to know that there's no contradictions. We need to know that there's no support for that which God says is sinful, and we need not to be ashamed of that. When somebody says, well, I think the Bible says it's okay. We had a question on this program last week. Somebody was uh, trying to take me to task for saying that uh, LGBTQ+, plus um, um, ideology was sinful. They said, you're hateful. Why why can't you accept us if Jesus accepts us? And my response was, well, the problem is Jesus does not accept that behavior. It's that simple. Jesus loves you, but loving you is not allowing you to do what is inherently sinful. Loving you is telling you the truth. And there's no response that somebody can have to an answer like that. And we need to have the confidence in what our Bible really says so the people, either real or AI, can't twist it and cause us to be confused. So, William, thank you. For the question, and uh, I am just starting to get information. Not that I'm going to use it, but but uh, to be able to answer questions. Um, some of my younger pastors are letting me know what kind of um, stuff AI is doing, and I think we just need to realize: hold on to that which is true and that which is real. Thank you for the question. We've got a caller waiting. Uh, Ruben from Saguin on line one. Ruben, good to hear from you. How are you doing? I am blessed, Pastor. I'm so blessed. Um, I just
3: quickly, if I may, I have a praise report about the service on Saturday. Good, what good, when good. you told me what you told me Friday that God was going to use me, all the honor and all the glory to God uh, it's just, oh my God, my intentions were bad when I was going to go there because my brothers and sisters, they don't like me and they kind of, they alienated me and my dad. And I, I just, I wanted to, to just tell everybody there that, Hey, you know, they never came to see him or any that that was my intention i'm not gonna lie to you that was my intention but when i got up there god told me shut up don't say anything just sing and don't say anything i will vindicate you and i said okay so I, i i went up and i sang the song the people were blessed i sat back down and then they got up and they just started saying all these things that weren't true about what they did for my dad. They just blatantly lied. And I was like, Lord, how can they lie? Anyways, real quick, at the, at the when they were gonna change the service to, to the preaching, my best friend's wife stood up in the back and she said, wait a minute, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I really need to say something. And I said, and my the, the pastor said, okay. So she came up there and Pastor Ron, she just looked directly at me. She says, Ruben, I wanna tell you that I admire you for what you did um you are the kindest most loving caring she humble and she just kept on just <laughs> telling me you know how good of a son i was to my dad and she says i know what it's like to be a caregiver it takes a physical and emotional toll on you And Ruben, I admire you because even in your physical condition that you have, you still took care of him. And I'm sitting there, and God is telling me, "Didn't I tell you I would take care of you and I would vindicate you?" With my and and I know that I shouldn't have had those intentions, but I just thank God because people came up to me afterwards and told me, "Ruben, that song you sang touched my heart, man. I didn't even know you could sing like that." And you don't. Know, you could play like that, you know, and, you know, and does good things. Yeah. So I just thank God.
2: Ruben, one of the things that this is a great lesson for all of us, you know, uh, if you were busy defending yourself, then God wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so. But when you leave it in his hands, stuff like this happens. Oh, I'm so thrilled Amen. for you, man. God bless Amen. you. God
3: bless you, too. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Thank you. That's great. Okay.
3: Have a blessed day.
2: Thank you, Ruben. See that's a lesson we all need to learn and you know our natural carnal instinct is to defend ourselves and 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 you know pat ourselves on the back for the things that we've done and Jesus just says look if you'll get out of the way I got you and too often we never get out of the way and find out that God will be there and that was the lesson that Reuben learned great call Reuben thank you very very much Here is a question from Oscar. He says, Pastor Ron, how do you balance topical teaching versus expositional teaching? Oscar, I don't think I do. Um, um, For me to do a topical, and and, and let me just explain. Uh, I I teach verse by verse. Uh, Where I ended last Sunday is where I'm going to pick up next Sunday in the book of Acts. There are only three times a year that I'm going to do a topical study, and that's Christmas, Easter, and Palm Sunday. Uh, And the rest of the time, I'm going to teach through the Bible. Now, uh, this past year, on two occasions, um, the Lord has given me a message, a word that was particularly timely. Uh, for our church for some people in the church who are going through some things and I I broke that verse-by-verse verse pattern, but that's Unusual really really unusual. So uh, I I just teach expositionally uh, What does the passage say? What does it mean and and how do we apply it in our lives? And I don't really ever set out to balance them uh, Because personally, I'm not comfortable Uh, with topical teaching. Um, I personally don't think I do it very well. Uh, So uh, I like the comfort of staying within the guidelines. Now, one of the criticisms that people have is, well, if you do that, you're not going to be able to share the gospel with every passage. I never have a passage of scripture, whether I'm teaching in the Old Testament on Wednesday night or in the New Testament on Friday or Sunday. I never have a problem um, finding the gospel. the, The book, from Genesis one one to Revelation twenty two twenty one is all and only about Jesus, and he's there, sort of lurking between the verses, and and it's so simple uh, to take that passage of scripture. I'm in the Book of Acts, and and sharing the gospel yesterday was really something that's really easy to do, uh, and uh, for me that is a source of comfort. So, Oscar. I don't do anything intentional other than that. I had another question that was similar that I can, I'll can. i take now. It's just how do I come up with what I'm going to say in the passage of Scripture that I'm teaching? And all I do is I I, I look at the, the, the passage of Scripture. Now, I know what it says, and I know what it means. I've been doing this a long time. Um, but But as I'm reading the passage, or as Paula is reading the passage to me, Over and over, um, the Holy Spirit is speaking in my heart and giving me a little bit of direction. And honestly, um, for both of you, Oscar and the anonymous question, um, I actually don't really decide. When I get up on Saturday morning, I've got my study completely done. And that's when the first time I'll look at it and say, okay, Lord, start planting ideas What do you want to do with this study? What direction do you want to go? What theme do you want to to present? And um, uh, by the time I get here on Sunday morning, um, the Lord has sort of worked that out and given me an idea. And then I take the passage of Scripture in that direction. But teaching it is also really, really important. So it's not something that I'm doing uh, because I want to communicate something. My job is always to find out, Uh, Oscar, what God wants to do in that passage of Scripture. He knows who's going to be here on Sunday. He knows what everybody's going through, and the Holy Spirit will then take that passage of Scripture. and He will utilize it in people's lives. Honestly, Oscar, um, when um, I do three services, and all three services are different, And I just, I mean, the same basic, it's the same passage of scripture and the same basic direction, but the, the, the points of emphasis are different because they're different people in the Bible study. And I just believe that that's the Holy Spirit meeting people where they are with this living and active word. Here's our last question, this half of the program. So we'd love your calls um, coming up. This is from Barry. He says, is gay conversion therapy effective? Barry, not only is it ineffective, it's embarrassing. Um, I, I don't know why we humans, we, we always want quick and easy solutions. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have this gay conversion therapy. Um, th- that's insulting. It really is insulting. It makes us look like we don't have a brain in our heads. So no gay conversion therapy is not effective. Now, what is effective is hanging out with Jesus. And so when somebody who has same-sex attraction um, is hanging out with Jesus, they're going to separate themselves from that temptation uh, because they would rather hang out with Jesus. It's that simple. And the reality is God may not... Uh, convert somebody in the sense of taking away the homosexual desires and replacing them with heterosexual desires. That may be a person who will live a celibate life because uh, the, the 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 sex that they're attracted to is is simply sinful, and they're making a choice. And believe me, that the, the apostle Paul says, "I wish you would that you all are as I am." And what he meant was single and celibate. And what he's saying is, "Look, that means I can convert." all of my energy to, to, to the, the calling that I have in my life and um, you know Barry the, the, the gay conversion therapy groups um, most of them have fallen into shame um, the leaders fallen back into their homosexual lifestyles it's just not something we should do we should present the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do the work Hey, we've got 30 minutes left on our Monday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Monday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We would love your calls, questions, and or comments. Here's a question from Jason. Uh, Pastor, how should I prepare for teaching a Bible study? Um, Jason, carefully, um, with, a, with a great fear of God. We want to rightly represent him. We certainly want to rightly divide the Word of God. And so we have to be, and I'm going to quote straight from Scripture, workmen rightly dividing the Word of God. And that means we got to really invest some time Um I think personally, and I'm going to just kind of give you um, in the order of priority for me, I think the most important thing anybody can do when they're going to teach a Bible study is read repetitively the passage of Scripture that they're going to teach. Um, I, I taught, I guess, 10 or 11 verses yesterday. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and I'm going to read those passages of Scripture over and over and over and over. And then you can get into, let the Holy Spirit interact, let the Holy Spirit lead and guide. And then you can pursue uh, Bible commentaries, um, um, the, the, the observation, uh, inter, interpret, observation, interpretation, application, method of inductive Bible study. There's all kinds of other ways. But for me, the most important thing is to read repetitively. Uh, I know we don't necessarily like to do that. Um, It seems like we're wasting time. But when you just sit down with your Bible open, and it's just you and the Holy Spirit, I promise you, He will begin to plant ideas in your head. Um, When I could read, Jason, and I don't know what you know about me, but I'm visually impaired. And, and, And Paula does most of the reading to me. I've got a Um, ipad and a computer that that my guys here have set up it's got really big letters and i can read it but for me to open a bible you know the 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 thing i would love to do the most is be able to go to the pulpit and carry nothing but a bible and i can't do that anymore because i can't see uh, a bible there's no printing big enough and if there was i wouldn't have a pulpit big enough to put it there um but i would love to be able to just walk around on stage holding a bible and teach straight from there without notes that would be my preferred option but because i have to print the bible verses so large just so that i can see them a little bit um i can't do that and um um just so for me paula will read it over and over and over again, and um so so I, I think giving the Holy Spirit the first opportunity to change you the second thing you want to do when you're reading it is you want to be sure that your heart is right with God you want to you want to check your motives you want to check uh, what you're hoping to get you know do you, are you, are you teaching Bible say so you just want it to be good and you want people to say good things, or do you want to really do what God wants you to do you know toward the end of Jesus' ministry? Uh, some Gentiles, some Greeks, came to his disciples and said, "Sir, we would see Jesus." And I've always remembered that because when I'm teaching the Bible, I want people to see Jesus, and what I want them to do is to understand um, um, his heart for them, and I, I want I want them to interact with the living and active Word of God, and so I have got to get out of his way. Well, I can't have an agenda. You know, there's some some Bible studies that I could make. I, I tease with my church all the time. You know, I could take this one verse and, and do three hours on it. Um, but, but you know, there are times when there's something that I think is really significant. And the Lord will have me skip right over it. Because he has an agenda for the Bible study. And my job is just to get out of his way. So, Repetitious reading, I think, is first. Checking your motives is second, and then you want to be sure you're right. So you want to find some reliable uh, commentators and and get some ideas from them, and just make sure that you haven't come up with something that nobody else has ever seen before. Because typically, if that's the case, Jason, you're going to be wrong. Now, let me say this: teaching is a gift that God has given those he's called to teach. And you need to be so grateful for that gift. A lot of people don't have the gift. And they'll look at a Bible passage and it'll confuse them. Well, you're God's answer to those people. So prepare in part by rejoicing. Rejoicing. You know, God has given me the gift of faith, and he's given me the gift of teaching, and I don't know why. I'm delighted that he has, but I am aware that I know stuff only because God has sort of invited me in, and I have the gift of faith. I trust him because God has made it impossible for me not to trust him, and as a Bible teacher, you've got to be someone, Jason, who is living what you're teaching others, and everybody has to see it. My final thought on this, Jason, is uh, is simple. When I get done, and I've been doing this now for more than 28 years, um, I used to say to the Lord, Lord, if they don't understand a word I say, what I want them to know is how much you love them. And I want them to be able to see how much I love your word, how much I love Jesus. Because that way it will be contagious. So please, please, please um, prepare with the healthy fear of God. Read the passage of Scripture over and over and over. And don't try to get cute. I get a little bit frustrated, Jason, with people who are trying to, um, you know, have a perfect three-point sermon and all the words have to start with the same letter. Um, You know, I, I, I don't personally, I don't like formula preaching. Just tell them what it says. Tell them what it means, and then let them go home, knowing that they can use what it means and what it says practically in their lives that day. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Scott from Von Army on line one. Scott, thanks for calling. Good to hear from you.
3: Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. I Hi, just, buddy. I wanted to make a, I wanted to make a comment uh, on the 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 call you, or the the answer you just gave because that's basically what I've been doing for a while, so I'm glad I'm doing it right.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to also point out, and maybe you can address this also, um, there was a time here this year where I was taking a class, and then I was teaching on Sunday, and and anyway, there were so many things going on, and I got so burned out and so frustrated, and I was trying to figure out, I was like, man, I'm not getting enough sleep, but that's not what it was. What it was is I was neglecting my personal Bible study. Yeah. I was doing everything to prepare for everyone else. And anyway, I just thought maybe you want to mention that to him also and maybe share how how you can balance all that for yourself.
2: Oh, God bless Scott. You. yeah, Scott, you're smarter than I am. That's a wonderful, wonderful exhortation. Um, you know, the, the reality is if we're not being fed. If we're not hearing from the Holy Spirit, then we're not in any position to communicate God's Word uh, to other people. And one of the problems I've seen a lot of people get into is, uh, you know, it's easy to do Bible studies. We can be Bible study machines. Um, We can produce them uh, with with the, the, the computer programs and stuff. It's easy to come up with a Bible study that seems to work. But if your heart is empty if 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 you haven't been being fed and encouraged edified by the word of god personally um then then you're going to be missing out and and eventually your bible studies are going to ring hollow so jason scott's answer is better than mine um um you you've got to be fed personally and you know i tell husbands they've got to have a bible study with their wives and and more than a Bible study, it's just reading, really, and 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 talking, letting the Holy Spirit lead, uh, as God knits your hearts together. And if you've got kids, you need to have family devotions. Um, you, you have to study for your own walk with the Lord. And it seems like, well, I, I won't do anything but study. Uh, God will give you time, but but never neglect your own time in the Word. Um, if if I could have my old life back. For any length of time at all. Now, but I don't mean my old before Christ life, but my my those days when I could see well. Uh, I cannot communicate adequately how much I miss just being able to huddle up um, in a room by myself with my Bible, the 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 leather paper Bible, not the electronic Bible, just with my Bible open. I never I. Never went anywhere without my Bible. I mean, if people saw me, my Bible was there, and 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 I I missed that. I really and truly missed that with all of my heart. Let me also add one other thing, uh, Scott, that, that occurred to me while you were sharing, uh, and this is for you, Jason. Uh, I think a great training ground for Bible teachers is teaching children. I think a great training ground is teaching children. You know, I can promise you, every church needs children's Bible teachers. And, you know, God will give you the gift to teach them at their level. But if you can learn to communicate adequately with um, 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds, then then, uh, communicating with adults will be easy. If you can keep their attention, it will be easy. And by the way, all of you Bible teachers, you can keep a kid's attention by teaching the Bible. You don't have to tell them stories. You don't have to be cute. You don't have to be funny. Teaching them the Bible, that's what will help them grow in the grace and knowledge of God as well. Great, great questions. God, I thank you for your comment. Here is a question. This one is from Maurice. Maurice. He says, can you share about dispensationalism and understanding the Bible, please? Um, Maurice, I don't think personally you can make sense of the Bible um, unless you are a dispensationalist. Now, let me explain. Dispensation simply means that God deals with humans at different times in different ways throughout the course of history. Now, God doesn't change. The word doesn't change. But it's clear that God changes in the way he deals with people. Now, let me make dispensationalism as simple for you as you can possibly imagine. If you believe that Israel and the church are two separate entities, then you are a dispensationalist by definition. And it simply means that um, um, God had a plan for Israel. God now has a plan for the church. And they're not the same plan. And then, of course, there are more dispensations, I think, for a, a... wise dispensationalists. There's six or seven different dispensations that we can acknowledge. But the idea is we're going to understand the Bible by seeing who God is talking to and and what the context is of that conversation. You know, I could read John chapter 17 as an example. That's Jesus's, um, we call it the high holy or high priestly prayer. Uh, If you only read half of it, and then you would you say, OK, the, the, if the other half didn't exist, well, then we can take all those problems. You can't. Jesus is praying very specifically for his disciples. And then there's a place where Jesus says, I'm not praying only for them, but for those who will believe through their message. And that's where it changes completely. And now you can say, OK, this is a prayer for me and in that wonderful passage we get eavesdrop in on on that private conversation between Jesus and his father in heaven and it's absolutely marvelous but but the only way you can understand that you know we get a lot of calls on the program about sabbath worship about keeping the law all those things about silly things like generational curses and all of that. Well, if you read um, j- just if you think the Old Testament, everything is written for you because it's the Bible and things are the same now as they were then you're going to be really, really burdened by the legalism. Uh, you're going to try really hard to please God. But you can't. But Jesus when he introduced the new covenant he changed everything and we have to understand our New Testaments differently than than somebody who is just reading the Old Testament. So you've got to be able to distinguish. I think the easiest way is: to whom is God speaking? What is the occasion of Him speaking? And what were the circumstances of that 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 the, that message? So dispensationalism is simply dispensationalism. Rather, is simply. Acknowledging that God deals with people at different times in different ways, without being inconsistent, without violating his character. Um and, and so to truly understand the Bible, we've got to do that. You know, Maurice, one of the the types of questions I get that um uh, people who are not looking dispensationally at the scripture is, you know, they want to know if Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven um, uh, is is that a promise I can claim? Uh, is um, If my people who are called by my name, and that, that prayer is uttered every single national day of prayer, uh, is that a prayer that we can claim? No, you need to understand that God was speaking to Israel or God was speaking to a particular king or God was speaking to a particular situation. If you try to apply all of those things uh, to our day to day lives, then we're simply going to get confused. And I, again, I want to say I just don't think there's any way to intelligently understand the scriptures if you're not rightly dividing the word in that sense. Jesus himself was a dispensationalist, he walked into the synagogue and opened the the scrolls to the passage of Isaiah. We call it Isaiah chapter 61. Of course, they didn't have a chapter and verse divisions back then. And um, he, he proclaimed uh, that he was there to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped right there because had he continued, then he would have talked about the judgment of God. And uh, he, he stopped there, indicating that his first ascent to earth had a particular purpose. Jesus put it this way, said, I didn't come to judge the world, but through me, the world might be saved. So no day of the Lord's vengeance, no terrible justice. That's part of the scripture in Isaiah 61, but he stopped right there. And then that day of vengeance and the day of the Lord's justice, of course, is going to come at the end of time after the great tribulation or during the great tribulation, actually. So thank you, Maurice. I appreciate the question. Pauline says, why would Jesus make wine from water when he knew the pain that alcohol would cause? Pauline, you're missing the whole point of the miracle. Um, uh, first of all, water was not really good in the ancient world. And so people drink wine. Paul tells Timothy, because he's got stomach issues, tells Timothy, drink a little bit of wine. Soothe your stomach. There's nothing inherently bad about wine. Uh, it's what people do. With alcohol, that causes the pain, and so Jesus simply, um, because he was being kind, it would have brought great shame and embarrassment at the wedding in Cana. Uh, the banquet master, master, and the 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 uh, the the father and mother of the of the the bride and groom would have been very embarrassing uh, had they run out of wine. And um, I remember weddings in, in Jewish weddings were seven days long. And uh, so Jesus took water and he did something kind for the banquet master and for the, the family of the people getting married. Um, of course, Jesus knew that people would abuse alcohol. But, but to focus on that, Pauline, that was sort of the kickoff of Jesus's public earthly ministry said my hour as he had come and then the Spirit of God spoke to him and said it has come and he did exactly uh, what his mother had asked him to do Uh, and he brought great joy that day don't blame Jesus uh, for the abusive behavior of human beings Um, if you take that line of thought uh, to its uh, logical end we could say, well, God, why did you make anything harmful? And uh, I, I know this is a stretch, but, you know, the the people that are arguing against guns and gun ownership, uh, they're doing the same thing. Guns are bad because guns kill people. Well, it's about time that we put the blame on the people who are pulling the trigger. And the same thing is true with alcohol. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've got somebody waiting on the line. Rick, on line one from San Antonio. Rick, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I'm, I'm calling about the dispensational thing that you were talking about a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I I absolutely follow the Mosaic laws. I, um, I have started that about two and a half years ago, I guess. Um, it's not a burden. I, I'm not, I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm, I, I just, I read the Bible different than you, and I just live that way. And I, I look at the law through Christ as my lens, and I, I do, I live that way. Um, I, I don't understand the dispensational theology, um, about the Church replacing Israel,
2: No, no, no. I didn't say that. I I want to be careful here, Rick. I didn't say the church replaced Israel. That is not the case. God has a plan for Israel, and he will fulfill every promise. So uh, replacement theology is evil and demonic, and I would agree with you 100%. But the church fulfilled God's plan to Two becoming one, and and of course, we've got that mystery revealed to us in the New Testament. Let me ask you a question. We're about four minutes left in the program, Rick. How do you deal with Jesus saying, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood?
4: So the two sticks, as far as I understand it, are the northern and southern kingdoms. You have Judah, the Jews who are the remnant, and uh, Ephraim, who was divorced by God, um, all through the prophets, uh, especially Jeremiah chapter 3 kind of talks a little bit about the divorce, you know, and the law of Deuteronomy 24 says that the groom has to die to allow the bride to choose whom she will be with. And I think the new covenant is we are not under the uh, blood generational uh, peoples anymore. We are free to choose if we would serve God, or we will serve the Father. Uh,
2: the okay, F- forgive me, that's, a, that, that, that's getting a little bit weird. Let me ask you the question again. How do you deal with Jesus saying to his disciples at the Passover meal before his, his crucifixion, he says, Easter. this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. And and mm-hmm. Paul saying that in effect, then he canceled the old covenant that was opposed, that, that opposed us. How do you deal with that? You're, you you seem to so, have thrown so new testament new doctrine covenant, out the door.
4: So the the new covenant is in Christ. Um, the Christ is God incarnate, who came down and died so that we could be redeemed. That is the new covenant. The new covenant is we are grafted in. We can be grafted in. We can be brought back into. His people. The covenant has always been God is our God and we are his people. That is the covenant established at Mount Sinai and that is the covenant that Christ brought back to us. But
2: who was the covenant the established room? with Rick? Who was is on Israel. Mount Sinai? Who was the covenant? The Ten Commandments, the covenant, uh, the law. Who was the law given to? Israel. Okay, so you're not Israel. I'm not I Israel. Am Israel. No, you're not. You are Israel. Through no, Christ, you are grafted
4: no. into the tree of Israel. Well, you are Ephraim. You are the northern kingdom.
2: <laughs> okay, thank you, Rick. You're on the southern kingdom. Yeah, that, that, that's you're getting a little too weird here. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. Now, for the audience, I wanted to ask the questions. And typically, in a situation like that, um, you've got somebody who's completely thrown away New Testament doctrine. Uh, They, they, they are looking at it from a lens and, and if I could have had a reasonable conversation with Rick and he was nice, so I don't mean that he wasn't nice, but, but if if we could have a reasonable conversation, we'd ask the question, I would have said, okay, how's keeping the law working out for you? And the answer would have been, it's not working out well because we cannot keep the law. And certainly the church has nothing to do with Ephraim. The church was born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And, and uh, I think the, the Bible makes that really, really clear. And people that are holding on to the old, um, it's sort of like they're trying to win a 100-yard dash in the Olympics, carrying a bowling ball, because the law, we simply can't keep it. So Rick, study your Bible a little bit. Study the New Testament. See what Jesus has done. And there's no way that you can make a distinction. Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 2, the mystery of the church, Jew and Gentile becoming one. That's the fulfillment of God's plan from the beginning throughout the Old Testament. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand on for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight. Uh, 7 o'clock. You can watch the ladies Bible study at CalvarySA.com. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I will be back on air AM 630. The word tomorrow at four o'clock. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels. The word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.